to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and today I'm going to look at the topic of happiness, specifically the idea of what makes a good life or what is the good life. And I start by looking at an article called What the Longest Study on Human Happiness Found is the Key to a Good Life. It's by Mark Schultz and Robert Waldinger, and it's in the Atlantic Magazine. It actually came out this week. It's an interesting article. I, I actually talk about the subject with my students often because it's related to longitudinal, it's a longitudinal study, which is a study that looks at human behavior in a very broad way, but over a long period of time. And those studies come with a lot of challenges. I think it's kind of cool to connect this to the last podcast where I focused on reality TV and how those uh, those shows are very flawed because of, because of the sample size, really, right? Who's in the study? In that, in the case of reality TV, it's people who want to be on TV. They want to be famous. But in this, you know, in a real study, you have to have participants that reflect the real world. And in this, in this study, they actually do look at individuals from Harvard, so the elite, especially in the 1930s. If you were at Harvard, you were the, you were like the elite of the elite, right? And then they also look at working class Americans in the same experiment. So that's cool. And I, I reflect on happiness. Like, what is happiness? And I wonder, how do you define happiness? Is it a state of euphoria? Is it a level of contentment? What is happiness is, a, is, a, is an interesting topic that we all should engage in because how else will you know how to be happy in life, right? And I think it's, it's a fun topic because it does lead to a lot of self-awareness but you have to have that reflection and be willing to say okay this does not lead to happiness and what i'm very critical of and i'm critical of it in this podcast is any kind of formulaic approach because if you're going to tell me like this behavior leads people to being happy it's almost like you're taking away the individual's needs the individual's identity and that's that doesn't really connect with me I think individuals have very different, distinct needs, and that's one thing I reflect on a lot in this podcast. So thanks for listening to the Classics Podcast. I appreciate it. Please subscribe if you haven't. Share it with a friend. Also, thanks for, for buying my book, Memories from a Life Once Lived. I've seen some an increase in the purchases of it, and I really appreciate that. So thanks for listening. I'll see you after the music. Welcome to the Class X Podcast, a podcast that looks at independent perspectives in American culture. I'm your host, Shukri, and today I'm going to talk about an article from The Atlantic Magazine, and it's titled, What the Longest Study on Human Happiness Found is the Key to a Good Life. So a long title, uh, but it's by Mark Schultz and Robert Waldinger, and I actually talk about this subject in my class because it's rooted in a longitudinal study, which I'll get to later. And there's a great TED Talk, and apparently there's a book coming out on the same topic. So it's basically exploring that age-old concept of the good life and also happiness. Like, what leads to happiness? Is happiness uh, a state of euphoria? Is it contentment? What is happiness? And so that's important, right? It's important to define what this idea, this concept of happiness is or this feeling. And so I think that's important. But for me personally, I always go into these happiness articles or clips or books or talks with a healthy amount of skepticism. 
it's not like I'm against the psychology of happiness. I'm actually not. I'm strongly attracted to the topic, but I feel like there's a reductionist nature or tendency to the topic. People tend to have a thesis, you know, like a specific behavior that they want to argue will lead to happiness, whether it's family or friends or jobs or whatever, and or mindfulness, you know, that's a popular one now. And they'll just hammer home that point over and over again. And I'm just skeptical of that approach. I think there's something unhealthy about obsessively focusing on one thing only. I just I just like to live my life focusing on many things, you know, values, family, friends, jobs, hobbies, all sorts of things like you do, I'm sure. Uh, many things that will lead to my own personal happiness. So I guess it, it's, it's like, it's about self-awareness to me in a lot of ways. I see meaning and purpose as just sort of naturally arising from doing the things that make me feel like I'm being authentic to myself. That's my opinion. But this article has a different perspective and I wanna go into that and sort of debate, debate those topics with you and see if you're interested or you agree or disagree. The article is based, as I said before, on a longitudinal study, a famous study from that actually started in 1938. It's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Basically, the research looked at Americans over their lifetime, which is hard to do. Think about longitudinal studies often fail because participants will drop out, researchers will drop out, people will die, and, and that leads to uh, just a unsuccessful studies. So this one has been around for a long time and it's very successful. Individuals, the participants in the study would answer questions, basically quality of life questions, you know, and what I love about it is that the group being studied, the experimental group, they actually came from different places in our society. They were on the East Coast, but some were at, at Harvard, while others were in the working class areas in the East Coast of the United States. And that's really important. It kind of goes back to the last podcast I did about reality TV and how it's not a sample size that really reflects reality, right? You kind of get more narcissistic types. But in this study, you don't just get the guys from Harvard. I mean, that would be kind of pointless, right? I mean, who goes to Harvard? We're talking about the elite of the elite, especially in the 1930s. It's probably just uh, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant elite so you don't just get that, you know, in this study, you, you, the strength of the study is in the diverse nature in terms of class. And that's, that's a pretty cool element to the study, which I respect. The weakness though, is in the lack of any women. It's hard to study happiness and only study men. And so that is the big flaw, which I know over time they have um, fixed. Now women are in the study, but I imagine women and men have different ideas of happiness. And that would be interesting to see the updated versions. But we have what we have in this study, and typically the conclusions in longitudinal studies are very broad. So that is important to also understand. You're gonna get broad, it's a broad study, and so the results are gonna be a little bit on the broad side, but what, I don't mind that. I like, I like that, because it does give, I guess it leads or lends itself to interpretation in a lot of ways. And the conclusion is that happiness is related to having good relationships. That's the big idea from this study. These relationships take work. You have to put work into all your relationships, but they're better than loneliness. Here's my problem. I mean, 
I agree, of course. I mean, who doesn't about the importance of relationships? But it, it seems to me, whenever I've watched the TED Talk or read the articles related to the study, it's very black and white thinking. I, I like, like for me, if you're not vigilant about your relationships, then you will end up lonely. I just, I just don't think it works so. It's not that obvious. It's not that clear. It's not that concise in a sense. I, I don't buy it. I think that most people are in relationships. Most are. Some have more than others. That's a fact. But that's based on personal choices a lot of times. Also, if so, if someone is lonely due to a lack of personal connections, maybe there are deeper reasons for it. You know, causes that are not really related to how much you're trying to or you want to invest in relationships. I don't know. It just seems to me a little surface level. I just think that happiness is more than the topic of are you in relationships? You know, because there's so many relationships to be in. I also think that personality can't be ignored when you're looking at this. Like I'm introverted. I'm very introverted. And I like having a smaller, closer knit group. I've always been that way. And I'm sure a lot of podcast listeners are that way. It's kind of an introverted hobby in a lot of ways, right? Um, not necessarily, but it is in a lot of ways. I also don't mind extended time on my own, maybe like a lot of you. So you know, I'm not saying that the study would disagree with what I'm, what I'm bringing up. Maybe they agree. Maybe they, they do have more openness to different versions of relationships. What I'm addressing is that personality does affect how we socialize and how people engage in relationships. I could just, you know, see someone reading this, reading the article, investing a crazy amount of time in socializing. And my point is that you probably shouldn't do that. You know, you need to like kind of gauge what is it for you? You know, relationships may, are going to be important, but how important in that hierarchy and what kind of relationships are important. So it's a little vague, I think, you know, as I as I reflect on it over and over again, it's just a little broad, a little vague, which is the tendency of a longitudinal study, I have to say. So on a separate note, here's something I agreed with. Individuals in the study, and I just love this part of it, they, they seem to like, really like the self-reflection element of being a participant because they are allowed to like, you know, reflect every year or two on their lives. And it seems like the annual or every two year questionnaire allowed the participants to reflect on what's important to them. And it really was meaningful. So I actually made a connection to a class I took when I was reading this because um, a few years ago I took a class and it was really, I guess it was kind of like humanism in psychology. There's this school of thinking like a human, the humanistic school. And it's all about self-reflection. So the class I took was about self-reflection, but it was rooted in teaching. So it was like a teaching philosophy class. And I was expected to really explore why I like teaching. And after taking the course, I came to some realizations about my own philosophy. And you know, for I don't know, I've always shied away from the topic of meaning, like being the primary focus. And I'm going to go into that in a second. Why? It's not because I don't like meaning or purpose. I've always just shied away from it for very specific reasons. But taking that class was helpful in a lot of ways for me. So I guess my point is I can understand why participants enjoyed the self-reflection portion because it probably led to some self-awareness, which 
is a nice aspect to journaling, to writing, which I've talked about before on this podcast. And one last critique. And the critique I have of this study is, is rooted in what I see as, I guess, a bit of a bias towards the elderly. And I'm not saying that as a criticism or to say that you shouldn't focus on people in their, let's say their 70s and 80s. I just think that people tend to focus on relationships as they age because that's a natural development. And I want to emphasize it again. It's more of a natural development. You know, like in developmental psychology, it actually makes perfect sense. But if you think about young people and you think about happiness for young people, if you're in your teen years, it's rooted in, you know, focusing on identity exploration. If you're middle-aged, it's probably related to starting to build a family or and being very productive at work, finding a job that's meaningful to you and allows you to provide for your family. So, you know, maybe, and, and here's my point, perhaps we should see this as a topic that's really, um, it's flawed because it's not focusing on stages. It's, it's a little bit too broad in saying, like, you know, instead of saying people look back on their lives and they think that relationships are important, maybe they should say when you're at this stage of life, relationships are, are more important to you, if that makes sense. Our needs just change as we age. That's my main point. Maybe it's better to see it from that perspective. I know I'm a little critical of this and maybe you disagree, but I just, I just think that saying relationships are everything leaves a lot to be desired. For me, it leaves a lot to be desired. Plus it ignores the many other things that are important to individuals, which are often, as I stated before, rooted in age. Personally, I love my family, my wife, my kids, my siblings, my mom, my hobbies, my profession, and, you know, all these go into happiness. It's a very holistic thing. And I look at it in a holistic way. I also get uncomfortable when people attach too much meaning to things. And I, this is what I'm going to go into this now. I, I like to focus on what's important and leave it at that. Atta when you attach meaning, it can kind of leave you, well, it can make you obsessive in your behavior because you're always associating your behavior with a meaning. And I think that that's a little bit dangerous uh, as far as the individual behavior. It could also lead to disappointment. And I've seen that before. I kind of connected to being a younger teacher. When I was first going into teaching, this was like 16 years ago or so, I remember people in my program and some of them were like, you know, this, this, this job is a calling to me and really putting emphasis on the job being a calling. And I just remember thinking that's so much pressure to put on yourself. Maybe you should just look at it as a job or a craft that you want to develop and cultivate and improve on and just get better at as you age. But when you look at something as a calling, it's really, I don't know, I think it leads to disappointment in a lot of ways. I think it's okay to look back and say, eh, that was kind of like a calling to me. But to, to go into something with that intense focus on meaning, oh, I, I think it's, a, it's, it's really a tough for the individual to actually get to that level, you know? So I just think it's something to be careful of, in my opinion. So that's my opinion. I love the topic of happiness and psychology. I think it's a fascinating topic and we really uh, should think about and I guess the best way to do it is through journaling and reflecting on your life and seeing what makes you happy as you as you work, as you as you engage with others, and also seeing what doesn't make you happy. 
And to me, that's really the, the, the key to success, you know? Sometimes it's like you have a day off and you, you think, that was really cool. Or you go on a vacation and you think, that was fun. And a lot of times it's the reflection of what you did and how you engaged with it, which is more important to, in my opinion, more important to happiness than just having a formula, you know? Like X, Y, and Z will lead to happiness. I just don't, I just don't see it that way. So hope you enjoyed this episode of the Classics Podcast. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe. Thanks to those of you who bought the book, uh, Memories from a Life Once Lived. Um, and uh, I appreciate it. So thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you.